The What to Know podcast explores best practices, innovation, and latest trends with industry experts with an eye toward helping you, the listener, stay ahead of the ever-changing marketing and communications landscape. This is uh, Bob Pearson today with Joseph Jaffe with the What to Know podcast. Um, I am the Vice Chairman and Chief Innovation Officer of W2O Group, and Joseph is the founder of a firm called Evolution, uh, the author of four books. He's an entrepreneurial expert and someone who's just on top of the trends in general and everything digital worldwide. So Joseph, thanks for joining us today. I'm uh, very excited to chat with you always. And uh, one of the things I wanted to you know to start with today is you, your most recent book is uh, Zero, and it's with you know Z period, E period, R period, O period. Um, tell us a little bit about the book your approach, why did you write it? Give us some perspective on that. Well, sure. I mean, Zero, zero being the fourth book, to me, they're almost like chapters or they're chapters of a bigger book. They're kind of evolutionary in nature. And, uh, and what I like to do is kind of build on um, almost uh, the foundation established by the others. Um, so if you look at the first book, which, which I wrote, I guess, 14 years ago, 13 years ago, life after the 32nd spot, um, really recognizing that there were all these incredible approaches in addition to the three primary colors of television, radio, and print. So I, that's why I had my previous company called Crayon, saying we specialize in the other, in the 93 colors. Um, this was kind of, you know, making the point of moving from communication, from, uh, from the three kind of obvious options within communication to the others. And then I went from join the conversation, which was, you know, optimizing budgets from communication to conversation. And in the third book, I spoke about optimizing from acquisition to retention. So there's always a kind of a Robin Hood approach, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of stealing from the rich and giving to the poor. Um, that's one way to look at it. The other one is always this idea of, look, no matter what people are talking about and, and, and um, espousing, um, our budgets are not typically growing, they're shrinking, and it's always an optimization game. It's moving money around. So in the fourth book, it was like, well, what if we actually, you know, why are we even discussing media at all? Um, what about zero paid media? And so, mm. you know, the assumption was in a perfect world, the optimal paid media budget would be zero. Um, but zero also being an acronym for zealots, which is advocacy, entrepreneurship, which is innovation, retention, which is customer centricity, and the O stands for owned assets, your people, your products, your packaging, your data, your real estate, um, your employees, your culture. Um, so the big vision there was this idea of how do we move from being tenants, which is renting media, to landlords, owning and monetizing our assets. And if there's an even bigger one, it's this idea of, and to me it got pretty exciting, which is, hey, wait a second, what if, uh, what if marketing could actually be a revenue generator instead of a, uh, uh, an expense or a cost center. Hmm. So, Joseph, when you go back to like the first book, you know, life after, when you think about like life after the 32nd spot, and when you wrote that book and, and all those concepts in it 14 years ago, I mean, you're talking 2003 roughly, you, you, you it was probably pretty radical, right? And now when you talk today about paid media and what can we do with, without paid media or, you know, what are the other values of how you can monetize your own assets? Um, what is it like being out like a little front in front of the curve? How do you, how do you get there? Like, how do you push yourself to get there? It's, it's funny that you talk about it that way because I always, you know, 
I always, um, you, you got to be kind of self-deprecating and, uh, and, and irreverent to be in the space. And, uh, and one of the things that I often do is I say, you know, kind of, I'm not a futurist. I mean, you know, God help me if I ever call myself a futurist. Um, futurists are, are, are kind of like snake oil salesmen to a degree because they never remind you about all the times they were wrong, but they won't leave you alone with all the stuff that they uh, predicted correctly. Um, my focus is really typically about 12 to 18 months and, uh, and maybe emphasis on 12. Um, but yet, you know, it's unbelievable to, you know, you talk about radical. What is radical? Um, you know, there, there is a great quote uh, that Bill Burnback once said, which is safe advertising is the riskiest advertising of all. Or today, you know, you take a Drucker quote, you know, to defend the past is far riskier than creating or inventing the future. Um, so I guess what, I guess if there is a common theme, um, it's about change. Uh, it's about optimization. But it's also about um, white space and first mover advantage. So, you know, when, when, I, when I wrote Life After the 30-second Spot, two of these bold new approaches, well, actually, I'll talk about three. One was mobile, you know, and I mean, this is 2004 still. The iPhone didn't exist. Um, right. One of them was, was consumer-generated content. Uh, YouTube as a company didn't exist. And one of them was what I called communal marketing, which I defined as marketing to and through communities, which became known as social media. Um, so I'm pretty proud of that work. I don't care if nobody acknowledges it. I don't care if I, if I get the um, – I've often joked that the only thing that I want to be remembered for is having my own Wikipedia page. And I think Aaron Strout once volunteered to set it up for me. Aaron, I'm calling you out, buddy. Um, but I just wanted some credit, in a sense, to say, you know what? I kind of was fairly accurate about this stuff. Um, but, mm -hmm. but taking all that pretense away, what are we really talking about? Um, Rex Briggs, I don't know if you know him. Um, he's, mm -hmm. uh, he's, he's a, he has a brilliant mind and certainly on the left, uh, left brain mind. And he once stood up at a Microsoft uh, strategic account summit and he, he stood up and he pointed his finger and everyone was looking, uh, uh, you know, at him, you know, at kind of like gesturing. He said, don't look at the finger, look at where the finger's pointing. For me, this is so obvious, this stuff. It's not revolutionary, mm -hmm. even to a degree. It's the ability to connect the dots, to actually see the wood for the trees, uh, and to understand the strategic role and where it's all going. So I'll give you just a quick example. Um, when I wrote Join the Conversation, how to engage um, marketing-weary consumers through the power of community dialogue and partnership, I never used the phrase social media. I didn't want it to be about tactics. So I actually called it conversational marketing at the time. But for me, it was about community, dialogue, and partnership. It was about understanding the need states and the drivers that were actually powering and fueling this force, this revolution, this phenomenon. And when you do that, it's one of the reasons why you can't be wrong, um, because ultimately all of this stuff is just consumer-led and, and, and consumer-centric and customer-centric. So, you know, as I say in zero. Don't pay for attention. Pay attention. <laughs> I like that. And I, I think, you know, Joseph, I think you're being very humble in that you, um, you're you just 12 to 18 months out in your mind. I think you've been consistently right about where the marketplace is going. And that, that leads to my next question, which is, so you can see where the market's going. You're connecting the dots. You're writing about it. And yet the marketplace takes so much longer than we expect to change. 
And so when you get inside the minds of uh, uh, companies and, you know, individual leaders who see themselves often as being entrepreneurial but have to move the organization with them, why does change take so long to take hold? Well, that, that I feel is a um, – uh, I have to be careful not to go into a massive rent. Maybe I'll go into a small rent because of time. But, but honestly, the, um, part of the reason is, is change is hard. And change takes longer than we think because of several reasons. One of them is actually as human beings, you know, physiologically, even if you understand, you know, how the brain works, the brain is engineered to resist change. The brain is designed to compartmentalize, you know, and take every piece of stimulus and, and, and attempt to sort it and, 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 and tag it and, and order it in a sense. Um, but we are creatures of habit as consumers and certainly um, as marketers. And, um, you know, there's another quote that I often use in my presentations, which is, change happens when the pain of not changing is greater than the pain of changing. So there's pain mm -hmm. all around, but I don't know that we give ourselves or that we give credit to the fact that, that there's, you know, you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. So truly it's about choosing lesser of evils. But the answer to your question is the fact that actually, and, and I'm almost coming to this, this this, this not revelation, but this, um, this, this um, point of clarity, which is that the organization itself is kind of rotten to the core. And, you know, uh, this idea of we all think like entrepreneurs and leaders and innovators. We're all smart. We all get it. We've all, you know, studied. We all have experience. And yet we don't act this way. You know, every time we have this little innovation diagnostic we have on our website at startupsforbrands.com, and we ask these very basic questions. Hey, do you think technology is important and only going to become more important? Do you feel educated? Do you feel like you're executing to the best of your ability? Uh, do you feel close to your consumer and, and are leading your consumer? Do you feel like you're keeping up and leading your competition? Um, do you feel partnering with startups? can lead to game-changing results? And finally, do you believe your organization will need to be more agile and entrepreneurial? And ultimately, what came out every single time we, we asked the question is this chasm, this disconnect, which is individuals think one way, but organizations act in another way. Hmm. And, and I know it sounds almost like a cliche, but the reality is that because of the constant churn in organizations now with budget cuts and reorgs and restructures, there is, there is an inability to embrace change, but also anything that has longer-term um, uh, benefits or advantages. And so we are completely trapped in the short-term, myopic, narrow-minded thinking and acting based on you know, quarterly earnings on the one side and, and ROI, um, but also these organizational um, chains or shackles that are just preventing us from, from being able to move forward. Other than that, everything's going just fine. <laughs> well, no. in fact, it's, it, yeah. yeah, and, and, and you know, I mean, you saw that, that chart of mine that uh, we were at that yep. conference together that, you know, the percentage of Fortune 500 companies that are no longer. Um, mm -hmm. So it's not fine, and I think it's important to actually, you know, right. that's why when... The, it's when, actually when, a big risk that occurs for companies. You're absolutely right. And, 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 so, and so the question becomes, the million, the billion dollar question is, you know, that's why we often say, what if Kodak acquired Instagram? You know, might they have survived? Mm. Because the, the stakes are pretty high. 
Mm-hmm. Talk about that a little bit more, Joseph, because I was, I was, you had, a, you did have a slide at this conference where I thought it was pretty cool, where it was like, well, what if Kodak had created their own version of Instagram or bought Instagram, or what if, you know, uh, Blockbuster had bought Netflix, uh, that kind of thing. Why do companies miss these opportunities? What, what is it that prevents them from seeing the same thing that the marketplace sees at the same time? So. You know, one of the things that people often say, um, the, the smart, uh, we'll keep it clean, the smart Alex um, will say, well, wait a second, Joe, if Kodak had acquired Instagram, they would have absolutely destroyed it. Um, mm. and, and the answer that I give them is, you're probably right um, at the time. But today, if Kodak knew today, you know, uh, or knew then what they know today, not only would it have survived, uh, I'm talking about the actual startup, but Kodak might have survived because they might have been able to prioritize and elevate this as an absolute strategic priority and, and imperative. Um, the, so timing and context is key. But the other thing is, why don't they see it? They don't see it because they can't get out of their way, um, because of, of legacy and incumbency um, and thinking, but also, you know, going back to that point that I made earlier, um, some of them see it. Um, they just can't do anything about it because mm-hmm. it's, oh, we're not, you know, M&A people, we're not venture people, that's not our business, um, you know, we can't get approval, uh, we're locked into a 10-year deal with insert massive technology legacy company here, um, and, you know, They'll give you a thousand reasons to say no. Um, And I often say to them, just come up with one damn good reason to say yes. And then put every bit of positive energy you have around getting to yes. So so that gets into, uh, if I think like, let's say you're a startup company or or you're in a place where you you are encouraged to innovate. And, you know, you're you're sitting there and saying you do not want to be the status quo. You want to be disruptive. You want to figure out how to how to change things. But like, okay, that sounds great. How, how do you actually become disruptive? Like wh- when you look at companies, because you work with a lot of um, startup companies and emerging companies and, and large companies innovating, what do they do when they become more disruptive? What are some of those traits that are positive that they're, they're doing right? Well, you know what? I mean, it's, um, there, so, so there are a couple of things. I mean, two things that I've been talking a lot about now, I'll just kind of distill it down to a, there are two things you, you can do as a company. Um, one is customer-centric and one is employee-centric. And the customer-centric one is, going back to flip the funnel, is formalize and scale advocacy. Create a mobile-centric um, you know, advocacy or ambassador or loyalty type of, of program. Not, and I'm not just talking about points and, and superficial. I'm talking about, uh, I'm talking about Nike you know, Nike running meets Starbucks meets, like if you meet Amazon Prime, if you look at just the best practices of all these companies, stitch them all together if necessary. And then for employees, I talk about an, an, a shock tank, an internal innovation fund um, to allow uh, employees with innovative ideas and disruptive ideas to get funded and actually, um, you know, have their project survive inside the company versus mm-hmm. have to leave. Um, to do it. But from an individual basis, again, we're coming down to how individuals think versus how companies act. Um, 
But one of the things I've, I've tried to sell through, and with you know full you know disclosure and transparency, I struggle on a day-to-day -day basis to sell this through, is this idea of you know Google has 10x thinking. Um, they call it 10x thinking. Put a zero on top of everything uh, in terms of a goal. And they also have, of course, you know the famous 60, 30, 10, or co calls it now, new, next. And it's really trying to hammer home this idea that you need a 10% budget. You need to spend one in every $10 on next, on innovation. You need to get to 10% um, for digital disruption and innovation. And one of the ways to do that is so I came up with this very clunky idea of instead of 10x thinking, what I call divide by 10 acting. In other words, take the 10, divide it by 10 to get 1%. And if you still can't get your you-know-what together, divide it by 10 again. Can you commit today to 0.1% of your budget towards change? Sending all of your employees to South right. by Southwest. If, you know, uh, you know, putting together a, a workshop, going on a VR tour, uh, immersion tour in LA, um, or being able to do one test or pilot program. And even that, you'd be surprised, or maybe you wouldn't, right. they're still struggling to commit to. So at that point, right. uh, you, know, you, all, you, you almost have to call time of death. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I, I think you're right because I think it's like it's um, intellectually people like to talk about things, but getting getting into action mode and actually trying to do that is is key. That so that's another thing is when you get into like you know succeeding fast, failing fast. Um, you see that all the time too. How do how do people do that well? Because because you, you know science and technology, as you know, you're iterating over time. You're constantly failing in order to succeed. But that's counter to how companies think. Yeah, I mean, the, the, just the concept of failure is one of the hard, maybe the hardest concept um, for corporations to, to deal with. And, and the irony of it is that they are, just, they are just colossal failures for the most part. When you look at share prices and market share and all these ridiculous ad campaigns, I mean, the amount of times I've been to these these marketing conferences and these CMOs show their reels and you can actually count, you know, the crickets are chirping louder than, than the reaction in the room. So there's failure, but they don't recognize it as failure. And they won't, you know, in, in the sense kind of, you know, as I say, if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's a duck. You know, so getting them to kind of just be like an entrepreneur, like they once were, is almost an impossible task. I mean, you mm -hmm. find, you you know, I mean, you know this. Show me one, show me one entrepreneur that that has not failed multiple times and been told no multiple times today. You know, today. Yep. I'm yep. not even talking about this week or this month. I'm talking about today, and and that's yep. the problem and the disconnect. So so this idea, you know, one thing I will say that that is interesting to me is. Um, you know, is the competitive pressure because marketers for the most part and, and companies are, they are kind of like lemmings. Um, so they copy each other uh, and, 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 and look to the left and look to the right. I always use that analogy. I think it's, a, it's either a Monty Python or it's a Benny Hill um, mm -hmm. where a Sergeant Major says, I need someone to volunteer for a suicide mission. And basically everybody steps back except one poor schmuck who's still standing still and he's the volunteer. That's kind of the situation, which is, which is you know, nobody's doing it. The, the other example I use a lot, which is, which is 
remember we used to go to concerts or a sporting event and there'd be like no mm-hmm. photography, no video. Uh, and they would like confiscate your camera if you, or you had to check it in. And then one day you would just go to like an event with 80,000 people and there'd be 80,000 people taking photos and videos. Um, right. and, it's, and it's like, and I tell people, do you remember the day that it changed? Nobody does. Nobody remembers mm-hmm. that tipping point where it wasn't allowed and then it was. And that's kind of what happens. And, and when it happens to you as a company, it's too late when suddenly you're playing catch up. Right. By the way, you're, as, you're, as you're talking about this, it just reminded me, when I talk with entrepreneurs, I, I will say, like, you know, one of the things I've found to be important is to build selective listening skills. So when someone says, you can't do that, I, I just don't hear the apostrophe in the T. And all I hear is, you can do that. So it's just that yeah, ability exactly. to not listen so well sometimes is very helpful. <laughs> you, Joseph, you had a, another slide that, you know, when you were, you know, we were last together and it was interesting because it was on the, all the technologies that are shaping the future of business. And it was kind of an almost an overwhelming slide when you look at how much new stuff is coming at us and shaping our future. A couple of technologies in particular that are really grabbing your attention that we should know more about or, or read more about, think more about? Well, you know, I mean, I mean, you know that I kind of very uh, provocatively will say, don't ask me what the next big thing is. The next big thing is mm-hmm. now. Um, you know, and I basically say, um, and, 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 and I talk through both sides of my mouth on, uh, on purpose because I'll say on one hand, you know, why don't you focus on the fact that your website sucks, you know, and, and you, don't, you don't know what the hell you're doing with search or email. Um, why don't you focus on the fundamentals and then come to me and we can talk about Alexa-powered, you know, AI-infused drones um, in a sense. And, but on the other, it's like you also kind of need to know what's happening in the world because or, you know, you need to have a partner, an external partner or someone inside your company that is focused on that without distracting right. you or the organization. But I would say, I mean, I remember Rashad Tabakawala once said, uh, I love this quote. Someone said, hey, what's the next big thing, basically? And he was like, uh, I, I don't know, m- mobile? You know, <laughs> and they all looked at him like, well, oh, mobile, wait, what? You know, and he was like, yeah, how's your mobile stuff looking like right now? And you know what I mean? And, and I love that response. But, you know, I, I, I've started saying this lately, which, which I really think is an interesting way to kind of, push and provoke. Um, so this is my point. This is my assertion, which is marketers need to be best in class across three digital assets, three owned assets. Number one is your website. Number two is, is some kind of mobile solution, but for the most part, let's call it an app. And number three is, again, some kind of intelligent, smart, connected device slash wearable. And, and the reason why I talk about it that way, and Rashad is in the back of my mind when I say this, is because people, I want them to say, really, you think we need a wearable? And I'd be like, listen, dude, your website sucks, so why don't you focus on that? You let me worry about the wearable, and how about we meet in the middle in terms of figuring out how to create an app that doesn't say, where is my nearest store finder, or how can I download my, my a coupon for a Big Mac? Um, you know, that's pretty much McDonald's app. Um, and, and so the point being there that, that truly that's where we should be exploring developing best-in-class solutions. Now, of course, maybe not every brand absolutely 
should have some kind of smart connected wearable slash device, but I'm pretty sure that we can find a best-in-class use case for almost every single company on this planet across those three uh, those three assets. Finish with with three inter- three questions that get into just some other insights that you have, and one of them is um, the people that inspire you. And so I noticed that you you, you use um, images of Charles Darwin. Usually, when you you know you talk to people and say who inspires you, they say Steve Jobs, and it's you know very standard type of answer. But who are those people that inspire you that have, you know, they could be alive or dead, but they're just, they've done something that's tremendous that sticks with you? Well, you know me, I've got, I've got, I don't know if I said it in that presentation when you were in the room, I said, I love to quote old dead white guys. Um, and uh, one of them is, is Walt Disney, who said, if you can dream mm-hmm. it, you can do it. And my corollary there is, is that technology can solve any business problem, no, no matter how big, hairy, audacious. Uh, it may be. Um, And so there are a lot of these quotes that come from people, and they're all creative people, you know, Diane Arbus, who said, it's what I've never seen before that I recognize. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Or or even Victor Hugo, there's nothing as powerful as an idea as time has come. There are also some amazing Einstein quotes, and Einstein certainly, as a person who, you know, um, if you read his... um, uh, who, who was that that wrote it? Isaacson? Walter Isaacson wrote a great book yeah. on uh, Einstein. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he wrote he wrote the um, the biography, um, and he also, of course, wrote Jobs's book. And he also talks about how Einstein, literally on his deathbed, was scribbling until the pen basically dropped out of his hand and he died. So from the mm. to the second he expired, he was still trying to create um, and invent. And uh, and so I think all of these people share that 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 idea, that spark in common of, of creating and being innovative. And by the way, the definition of innovation is productive originality, is doing things different to get a result, which I think, mm. you know, which by the way, and I, I mentioned this a lot, which is that's the definition of creativity as well, productive originality. A creative approach is an original approach that gets a result. And I, I love like the these word, ideas. I like the word productive being in front of that. Yeah, yeah that's, absolutely. That's Productive originality. And you know why? Because, you know, again, Einstein said the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Well, well, productive originality or innovation or creativity is different approaches uh, to get a result. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and I just want to say one more thing. I spoke to someone the other day. It was quite inspiring on, a bus- on, on one of the trips. And he said, We've act, we do the same thing over and over again, and we accept the result. And I basically said that is even worse than insanity, you know, because you've got innovation, insanity. That, to me, I called it inmate. You, des- you deserve to actually be committed. You need to actually – that's actually criminal. If you're doing the same thing over that and over again – That could be productive again, insanity, right? That, 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 is, that is, I mean, that is the worst because at least right. you're slightly delusional if you're hoping for a different result. But when you do the same thing over and over again and you accept that same result, at that point, you're actually breaking the law. Right. What is, what is your favorite movie? Either Tomorrow current I, or I, all time. No, I have two favorite movies which tell you a lot about me. One is Highlander and, and one of them is my cousin Vinny. And that should tell you everything you need to know about me. Wow. Okay. And then um, uh, we always, not always like to ask. That. No, I didn't expect that at all. That wasn't that wasn't even remotely close to what I expected. But that's cool. Um, 
what what kind of what what are some of your favorite books that you've read recently? So uh, the the book thing is always a tough is is always a tough one because I typically don't read business books, which I guess mm -hmm. makes me a little bit of a hypocrite because I write them, but I haven't written one in a while. I'm trying to write a new one. Um, you know, I I think obviously there's so many amazing books in the business arena because if that's what you're alluding to, um, and 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 I think you know the um, Probably Startup Nation is is one of my favorites, um, just because it's just you know it's it's the story of of Israel's you know such a small country to be able to be so creative and create these game changing technologies, but also understanding the reasons why. When you deconstruct or dissect, uh, it, it's fascinating to understand where you know true innovation and disruption come from. So I'd probably say that. Okay, cool. Yeah, you know, and I actually, I have to say, like on books, I find that reading non-business books is often a way to open my mind. I, did, I just personally finished Dereliction of Duty, going through the Vietnam War and all the planning or lack of planning that occurred on the United States front. Really, uh, really interesting read. So, uh, and, um, Joseph, this is... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just, just going to say, I, th I, I, think the, I think the real answer that I wanted to give was location-based marketing for dummies. Um, there you go. By a certain Aaron Strauss. Um, but well, I'll I think only, that I'll only, I'll only say that the majority of the world has already read that at least once, if not twice. Um, you know, I, I, I figured that that would have copy. been a given. I just want my signed copy. That's all. Okay, I'll, I'll make sure that I put a good word in for you with Aaron. Joseph, this is great. Uh, as we said before, we got on. We probably would have a part two. I can definitely see a part two in the future. And uh, really thank you for your time. Uh, this is uh, Bob Pearson signing off with Joseph Jaffe for our What to Know podcast. Thank you, Joseph. You're welcome. Want more episodes of the What to Know podcast? We post a new episode every Thursday. Check them out on iTunes, the podcast app, and the podcast page at w2ogroup.com backslash what to know.